1: Is that okay all right well i'll do my best to be there okay thank you mike co how are you doing hey, man? how are you doing good I'm to see good. you Good.
0: i haven't seen you in a real long while I man. Know, man. how are things good good staying busy staying time start trouble yeah. you know yeah. doing my thing same same yeah cool I, i'm i'm super glad i ran into you do you know what's coming up
1: well, yeah, yeah, Budden night, championship Monday, man, NCAA game time. I'm on, I'm game, I'm ready, man. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah,
0: let's get – that's not what I was talking about, but you're right. Uh, that is coming up.
1: Well, maybe it's uh, a master – hey, Kentucky Derby, mind Derby. that part. Remember that story? Uh, yeah, man, fastest three minutes in sports. It must be what you're referring to.
0: I, I don't know much about that oh. at all. No, oh. it, it's something else. It's actually – next week i mean it's a it's a it's a major holiday
1: really oh you're talking about easter yeah yeah, right, cool. Yeah, I knew we would get there. There we yeah, go. For sure. Yeah, yeah, I like Easter. Easter's good. You know, there's always a good meal involved. I like food, you know me. Yeah, I like you know, food, good food too. Yeah. No, that's and, and, and not And right. there's the eggs, you know. Yep. Dial the eggs, hide the eggs. And, and, it's, and the,
0: find the eggs bunny.
1: And it's the, all about the bunny. It's not you know, about it's, you know, the And then he lays all the ch- I don't know how he lays them eggs. But I don't anyway, think he lays, he lays the but, eggs. He doesn't uh, oh, anyway. Anyway, but it's about the bunny. The bunny's cool, you know, and the ladies all wear nice pretty dresses. Right, right, yeah. Everybody gets dressed hey, like up. Hey, day off work,
0: too. Oh, uh, right? yeah. Well, I mean, who doesn't like a day off work, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I like
1: Easter. Easter's a good one.
0: Easter is what the world may call it, but it's actually known by us as a different name. Huh? Yeah, we call it Resurrection Sunday.
1: Resur- I don't get it. What's that have to do with the bunny?
0: Well, it doesn't have anything to do with the bunny, but it has everything to do with Jesus Christ. Jesus? Yeah. Well, that Jesus guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, so so Jesus, at the beginning of Holy Week, which is where we're starting right now, comes into Jerusalem. And everybody uh, praises him, and he has palm branches, and they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he hangs on a cross for you and
1: for me. Oh, wow, I'm confused. I'm way, way confused here. I mean, this Jesus dude, he died for me. I never knew Jesus. Yeah. I never knew, and he died. Why would a stranger die for me? Well,
0: Jesus loves you so much. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you in order that you might have life, life abundant.
1: Wow. I don't know, frankly. Yeah. This is blowing my mind. I, I, I never got this. Yeah. I, I've, I've never heard this.
0: It, it's, it's a lot to take in. But the story doesn't end on the cross. The cool thing is that he died. Can you tell me more? Well, yeah. Yeah. So so he dies and he's buried. And we think that the story is completely over. But then in three days, he rises again. Can you believe that? The empty tomb? uh, He's risen. He's conquered death. And because of that, we are able to have eternal life in him. All we have to do is believe just have to believe. Just have to believe. That's amazing. It is amazing. And I'd like to invite you to church with me. I'd like for you to see that firsthand. I'd like you to, to, to sing alongside me as we worship together. I'd like for you to hear the message and, and, and just to, to feel the love of, of our church family as they kind of gather around you. It's, it's so cool. And I want you to be a part of that. Like, I'm a part of that. I always thought it was just about the bunny, frankly. It's not about the bunny, man. The bunny's cool, it's, but it's not
1: about the bunny. It's all about a dude named Jesus. Huh? It's all about a dude named Jesus. Maybe I'll take you up on that like That's amazing, Mike.
0: It's so great to see you, my Good man. To see you.
1: Ed. At this time, I would like to thank the Academy for nominating me for (laughs) You don't think that's Oscar-worthy, you know? Well, Well, Karen last night told me, said, uh, maybe you ought to keep your day job. Uh, We might want to pay the electric bill next month, okay? So don't be running off to Hollywood quite yet. But anyway, Franklin and I, we had a blast doing that. We found a good day that the wind wasn't blowing, could get that pulled off, and uh, you know, I, I come to you, and, and I'm going to challenge you here in a minute, and I'm going to challenge you pretty hard, and I might mash on some toes, and if I do, I'm sorry. But uh, I think, how many of us know someone out in the world that's like that? Whether it's a guy or a gal. Do you know someone that way? Yeah, I probably do too. So here, pop quiz. I've been kind of gotten this road doing this the last few times. Pop quiz. How many of you in the room, online, And I'm sorry, for those of you on the radio, you are just totally lost right now. You don't have a clue what's going on. But anyway, you can follow in on on, on the radio as well. How many of you consider yourself that Jesus saved you and that you are a Christian? Okay. Now, what about those of you that just kind of went like this? Are you just kind of a Christian? Yeah, whatever. How many of you in this room are truly and boldly confess that I am a Christian. There you go. I like that a lot better. Because I think that's the way, the attitude we need to take, and we need to go forth in this world. You know, we, uh, here's one of these things that's going to be a little touchy, and, and I'm going to bring it up, and, and, you know, I'm now 56 years old, and live most of my life in this community, and unfortunately, you know, we have to attend a few funerals every once in a while. You know, it's just part of life. But, um, There's been some of them that either I've walked into a church or walked into the mortuary down there, and you sit down, and they start the service, and, you know, kind of in the back of your mind, you're kind of wondering, I hope they're where they need to be, you know. I hope they accepted Jesus somewhere. And they start the service, and they start talking, and they, they go on and on and on about what a great leader this person was in the church and what a godly person there was in their walk with Christ and everything else. And I'm sitting there thinking... You know, I knew this person 30, 40 years, and they never once mentioned Jesus to me. Nor did they mention God to me out in the real world. That's kind of tough. You know, we've kind of turned into a society where we get a little selfish, don't we? We can be selfish. I'll admit it. I'm selfish. Every Everyone of you in here can say you're selfish. But why do we want to be selfish about our God? We found a good thing there, didn't we? This Jesus, that's a good thing. So why are we selfish about it? Why do we keep it bottled up inside of us? We should be bolting out those doors, being bold, telling people about this Jesus, about what he did in our lives and how he saved us. Because I think it says somewhere in, I believe it's like in Matthew 28, talks about uh, going to the world and make disciples. You know, he's kind of telling us what we need to go do, doesn't he? So as we go forth, and next Sunday is Easter, Resurrection Sunday, and usually it's the busiest day of the, of the year for churches. You know, a lot of people come on that day. They might not come any other day out of the year. So I encourage you to invite people to church next Sunday. I want this place to be so stinking full that we're back there scurrying in the back corner, dragging out more chairs, putting them down the sides over here because we don't have enough places for everybody to sit. Number one. Invite people. But number two, I think there's another invitation you need to make. And it's a lot more personal one. And those people that you might know that are like that, or maybe they used to be and they've kind of drifted away, and they need to come back to Jesus, that you make that personal invitation to not only come to church, but personally invite them to meet that dude named Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to you today, as always, I praise you and thank you, Father. I thank you for the awesome, awesome God you are. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made, that we come at this time to remember as we take the elements, that we remember what you did for us, Father. Father, it is amazing, and you give us the strength, you give us the boldness that we need to walk out those doors and go tell the world how great and how awesome you truly are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
2: Why do we even say that? Cambridge Dictionary of Phrases means to set the stage, means to make it possible for something else to happen. That's how you see it in a theater. The theater, they set the stage, you know, if it's a, an interior scene or an exterior scene. Uh, if you're a realtor, you, you stage a house that you're trying to get to sell. Empty houses aren't as good as staged houses. And And if you're reading a book, the first, the intro might give you a little bit of an outline of what you're expecting to see. Even when we were rebuilding and remodeling here in 2019, we put a lot of energy into the stage area, making sure that there was good lighting and good sound and good electrical so that you could actually see clear and see the screen clear and everything would draw the focus to the cross. That's what it was about is draw the focus to the cross. The tabernacle sets the stage for Jesus. It's that simple. It is absolutely essential to see Messiah in the tabernacle. Now, God's people, it was going to take them time to realize they needed a Savior. And they needed to deal with their problem of sin. And Jesus is the final solution. To the sin problem, we're in this series called His Dwelling Place. We're looking at the tabernacle. Yes, it's Palm Sunday. Yes, we're going into Easter. We will Easter. We will continue next Sunday on Resurrection Sunday, looking at the way God interacted, interacted with God, A man interacted with God, and in this tent of meeting, God was showing so many signs to Jesus. The tabernacle is the place where God began his regular contact with man. Now last week we talked about the purpose of the tabernacle. To see that he wants a relationship with it. And now we're going to see how it lays out. We need to see it and understand it so we can have the stage set. But first to set the stage for how it is built I want us to look at something we're going to be in Exodus 38 if you'd start turning there with me if you're online or on the radio welcome to Central Christian Church we're glad you're with us Exodus 38 is where we're going to be but I want to start back a couple of pages in 35 because 35 through the end of the book is explaining the tabernacle And I was studying for it, and this kind of jumped off the page at me as he starts to set the stage for the tabernacle. Now listen to this. Then Moses called together the whole community of Israel. These are the instructions the Lord has commanded you to follow. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on that day must be put to death. You must not even light a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath. You're sitting there going, Don, I thought we were talking about the tabernacle. What does that have to do with anything? Why does Moses come in so hot talking about a fireplace? What is the big deal? I'll tell you what the big deal is. This tabernacle is serious. This building is serious. God designed it. God prepared it. And he says, I want you to pay attention to this. And so Moses starts right at the outset saying, you need to understand how serious this thing is. He expects his directions to be followed. Now God designed this tabernacle. It is full of symbolism. It points to the cross from last week we talked about the sky view looks like a cross. Everything points to Jesus and it showed the way that man could approach God. And it vividly, however, shows how man is separated from God. Now you see Exodus 38. This is where I want you to be. I'm not going to read it all. We don't have time. We're going to go through all this. But I want you to be checking my data in there and make sure that we're following along. Because we want to, we want to do this. We want to be Bible students, be a Bible, believing in a Bible, using church. We're trying to be Bible literate. So let's start with the courtyard. The courtyard has three gates that enter into the presence of God. The courtyard is where we're going to be. The three gates that go in are the gate from the tabernacle and the tent. If we go on to that next slide, please. And there, you'll see the gate. There we go. Uh, this is the outside view. That gate out there, the dark on the corner there, is the outside gate. And then the tent where the gold pillars are, are is the the tent gate and then the veil keeps you from the holy of the holy of holies so there's three gates it points to jesus i am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father but by me now you see this outer court is made out of white linen curtains they are a hundred cubits long 50 cubits wide and uh, uh five cubits high and everybody knows what that is right we're not metric, Don. Come on, we don't understand this. A cubit was a measurement in the Old Testament, and it really was, it's from your elbow to the tip of your finger. Okay, so it, it averaged out about 18 inches. So with that measurement, then the tabernacle is 150 feet long north and south. It is 75 feet wide east and west. It is 7 seven and a half feet high. Now, the white curtains symbolize the purity of... Of God to come closer to God, you had to go through purifying. You had to be purified. You had to be clean to come through. And that the tent the, or the walls blocked the view. Now we showed last week that there were the, everybody camped out on all of these directions. And as they moved, they all moved in those directions. It blocked the view of the tabernacle. You couldn't see everything that was going on in there. And that was purposeful, to remind Israel that we're separated by sin. But it was a constant reminder of what was necessary to have a relationship with God. Now you can see there is only one way to enter that gate, right? There's only one way to enter, and it is the first gate. That's colorful and it's welcoming, but it's bold. It's 30 foot wide. It's seven and a half foot high. Now, if you remember last week, the sky view on the north and south, there were three tribes and three tribes. They were about even. To the west, there was three tribes, but they were the smallest three tribes. And to the east, there were three tribes, and they were the largest three tribes. Does anybody remember what tribe was right by the gate? Judah, the tribe of Judah. Uh, And the tribe of Judah is represented by a lion. Some of you are way ahead of me. To be in the presence of God, the only way is through the Lion of Judah. Now, this is not very politically correct, and I really don't care. Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. It is non-negotiable. He does not share authority with lowercase g gods. Now, some of you are, well, I don't really think that, Don. I think there's lots of ways. You're allowed to think that. You're absolutely allowed to think that. The Scripture will not support that. He does not share our opinions. He does not give authority to our opinions. He is not inclusive of all beliefs and actions. This is hard to understand, but God is very exclusive. John 14 says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. It's very, very specific. And there is something that has happened in our culture where we've twisted that. And and we hear stuff that says, God loves everybody. Guess what? I believe that. I'm totally good with that. And, And God created everybody. I'm totally down with that. And everybody is God's child. That's where I pause, because not everybody is a child of God. Everyone is a creation of God. But to be in relationship with God requires behavioral changes, requires attitude changes. Now we talk about unconditional love frequently at weddings. Oh, uh, he loves me unconditionally. That's not technically true. We have very conditional love man to man, all right? Man to woman. We, we have conditions on our relationship. God absolutely loves us unconditionally. But to be in relationship with Him, there are conditions. It is exclusive. See, to be in the presence of Creator God, we have got to surrender to the Lion of Judah. And that's an absolute base. We've got to get that. Now, in this tent, any Jewish man could enter the courtyard. You see a a kind of a viewpoint of everything. And they could go only up to the brazen altar. The outer court is made of 60 pillars of brass with silver hooks. And the linen was made to make the walls. Now, the posts and the cross beams were... I grew up with it being called acacia wood. Has anybody ever heard of acacia wood? Well, I've been listening to some different podcasts, kind of going prepping for this, and they call it acacia wood. And I thought, maybe I've been pronouncing it all wrong. I don't know. I'm not real smartly and such and goodly and, you know, all that stuff. So just roll with it. If you call it acacia wood, it's acacia wood. If I call it acacia wood, it's the same thing. It's often referred to as iron wood. It's tougher than walnut. It is insect proof. And they're out there in the desert. The closer you get to the most holy place, the more ornate it gets. There's actually no gold or silver in the outer court. It's all on the inside. But if you go on in Exodus 38, which you're where you're supposed to be, you get down to the end of that. He starts talking about all of the Israelites brought to Moses gifts to to do this and gold and silver and all of the different things that he brought this. But if you look in there, just look at the gold for a second. It says they brought 29 talents and 730 shekels of gold. I have no earthly idea how much that is. Somebody smarter than me figured out it is 2,193 pounds of gold. Well, I can figure from there, and I got my little calculator, that rounds out to about 35,100 ounces of gold. And then I got on the Internet, and gold this week, middle of this week, was trading at $1,997 an ounce. That means over $70 million of gold is in that tent. Spoiler alert, that is not what's going to be out here in our parking lot, all right? We do not have security for that kind of stuff, all right? But the tabernacle is tangible evidence of god's desire for a relationship with us you might be saying why all the expensive stuff what's the big deal here's the big deal build me a place and i will dwell with you so he says in exodus 25 what kind of place would you build for god now we have the bible and we have hindsight and we get it and we we have the gift of prayer and all of these things But previous to this time in Scripture, people did not have access to God. Now, God spoke. God God had access to people. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they all walked together. But when the sin happened, it separated them. Now, God would speak to Adam. He would speak to Noah. He would speak to people. He communicated. It was not a two-way phone call. You know what I'm saying? We didn't have that. They didn't have that and the tabernacle shows us a way to move in the direction of god a limited discussion with god i could be in his presence and we need to move in his direction so you go through gate one and the first thing you're going to see is a big box, an imposing square box called the Altar of Sacrifice. It is on a mound dirt, uh, a dirt mound, and it has a ramp, not steps up to it. It has a ramp up to it. It is seven and a half feet square, four and a half feet high. It's covered in bronze all the way around. It has these horns on the end. I went out and took a tape measure out in the alley. Our, our dumpsters out here are about five and a half foot square. So... Just so you have a visual, it's about a a foot on all sides of that, right? And it is overlaid, it is acacia wood overlaid in bronze. Now some of you have a Bible that will say the brazen altar. Anybody got something that says brazen altar? And some have translated that to say a brass altar. Now most of the experts will tell us that it probably wasn't brass, it was bronze, because the bronze would handle the heat of the fire more. It was the busiest place in the tabernacle, and the fire that was in that thing never went out. Even when they traveled, they kept that fire going. But you see, you need to understand, as you walk into this tent, into this courtyard, this is not a place of celebration. It's a place of death. It's a place of pain. It's a symbol of the pain that sin causes. You see, when you approach the altar, you didn't approach the altar and say, Hey, God, you approached the altar with offerings. To cover your sin and it reminded you that it costs to have this relationship now i said the tabernacle sets the stage it shows us how hard it is to follow all of the rules of the old testament the law and the and the sacrifices and they had sacrifices all the time now honestly i'll be straight up with you i thought when you went to the tabernacle, you took your little goat or your chicken or your whore, whatever. You took it. You handed it over to the priest said, peace out. I, I, you know, take my sins with you. Take your Bible. Put your finger in uh, Exodus 38. Turn the pages over to Leviticus 1. I know we don't read in Leviticus a whole lot, but Leviticus 1 is incredibly powerful. Listen to this. Leviticus 1 says, The Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle and said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel: When you present an animal as an offering to the Lord, you may take it from your herd or of cattle or flock of sheep and goats. If the animal you present, if the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the herd, it must be a male with no defects. Bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so you may be accepted by the Lord. Lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. You see what you did there? You put the sin on it. Look in verse 5. Then slaughter the young bull in the Lord's presence. And Aaron's sons, the priest, will present the animal's blood by splattering it against the sides of the altar that stands at the entrance to the tabernacle, then skin the animal and cut it into pieces. Uh Uh-uh. Yuck. Aren't you glad we don't do that every Sunday here? I mean, that's gross, all right? But think about that. That's not somebody else doing it. That's me doing it. I'll take you one step further. If you read more in there, you'll, you remember the Passover lamb? We're heading into Passover this week. The Passover lamb was supposed to be pure and clean. It was an offering for your sins and your family. Do you know where that Passover lamb lived the four, last 14 days of its life? Do you know where it lived? It lived inside your house. You took care of that animal for three years. You got it ready. You made sure it was clean. And for the last 14 days of its life, it moved into the house and lived with you. If you have kids, do you know what you just did? You made it a pet. And then you, Dad, have got to take that thing in front of your kids. And do you hear how hard that is? Dad, you're awful. You're a horrible. That's a terrible job. Do we see how much image is here? You might be sitting there going, Don, that is gross. What's with all that? What's the purpose of this? Is it torture? Is it penance? No. Our God is holy. He cannot be near sin. Our sin is too much for him. We just sang, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now we sing it, but do we realize how much our sin separates us from Him? We can no longer casually just say John 3, 16, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Uh Uh-uh. It's important. We can't just... It's not just crackers and grape juice. It is a reminder of what an incredible sacrifice our, our God gave us. In Exodus 29, He says... I will live among the people of Israel. I'll be their God. I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I could live among them. I am the Lord their God. He wants us to have an experiential lesson. He wants us to experience awe and humility and that awe precedes faith. And the humility that it's going to take to recognize what is wrong with us. In Isaiah chapter 6, there's a passage where the seraphim go and they get coals out of the... Isaiah says, I've seen the Lord. I'm unclean. I'm going to die. And the seraphim go and get coals out of the fire and they touch his lips. Remember how he touches his lips? You know where he gets that coal? From this fire. From this altar. Why coals? Because coals have been through the fire. And why... What's been dripping on these coals this whole time? Blood. You can be clean through the blood and the pain of what Jesus went through. Jesus paid it all. Speaking of clean, the other element in the courtyard is the bronze laver. We have the least amount of information about this of any of the elements. There's only four verses uh, in, in t- talking about it. Now, the purpose of a laver is fairly easy. It's a basin of water. Any ideas what we're going to do with that? We're going to wash. Okay, that's pretty, that's pretty elementary, right? But when you look in the water, uh, excuse me, it, 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 the point of this is to get clean. It is right up by the tent. It symbolized nothing impure could get close to God. It was made from the mirrors that the women donated. Okay, it was made out of mirrors and it had water in it. Now we see the purpose of this, but do we see the value of the labor? What do what do mirrors represent? Let's be honest. What do mirrors? Re- what do you do with a mirror? Who are you looking at in a mirror? Me, right? Self. It's all about self and vanity. Oh, look, it's a good hair day. Oh, you know, Mike and I never have good hair days. We just survive, right? Uh, but it's it's all about self. And when you look in a water basin that is made of mirrors, you're going to see you with the world in the background. True? What if when you look in there, you see a lot of the world right here? You hearing me? The purpose of the labor is to look at ourself. What part of you touches this earth the most? Your feet and your hands. We have the most contact with the world with our feet and our hands. Guess what? You're supposed to ceremonially wash. Here's a novel idea. Your feet and your hands. Now stick with me for a second. Put this all together. You've got walls and a gate. You've got an altar with a ramp. You've got a laver, a a, a bucket of water here, right? Listen to the, the steps that are involved here. To be in the presence of God. You have to enter through the Lion of Judah. Now, a sacrifice has to be made, and it's going to cost a lot. And before we can see him, we've got to see the flaws in us. Now, some of you might be sitting there right now going, Okay, Don, I'm lost. I don't get it. I, I don't know any of this stuff because you don't understand how bad I've been. I've blown it. I've messed up. I'm not worth being in God's presence. And the enemy is sitting there whispering to you right now, this doesn't apply to you. This doesn't matter to you because you're messed up. You're worthless. And my God is screaming out from the cross, from communion, from these songs to say, you're worth everything. I gave my son for you. I want you to live eternally with me. I want to dwell with you. That's the stage that is set here. But there's a problem. There's a sin problem. And we're dirty. I told this story eight years ago. It still rings in my ear. And if you know it, just bear with me. I'm repeating myself, I know. But in 1818, a guy named Dr. Philip Simmelweiss was dealing with a world full of dying women. Even the finest hospitals in all of Europe, one out of every six mothers would die in the early 1800s. They called it childbirth fever. We know now more of what it, what it was, but it, it really bothered him. It was an unacceptable loss. We've got to fix this. We've got to do something about this. So he starts watching. He starts watching. Now, all the hospitals, we didn't have specialists like we have today, but all of them, everybody just did basically the same thing. You went in the first of the morning, he watched their routine. The morning would be, they would go into the morgue and see who had passed away the night before. They would do anything that needed to be prepped for that, right? An autopsy or whatever it needed to be done. They would take the body and they would get it prepared. And then the next stop was the maternity ward. Now, in those days, a lot, of the, a lot of the women would come there for months at a time and stay in the hospital to, to be cared for. It wasn't just a, you go for three days. It was, you know, stay there for a long time. And Dr. Semmelweis watched, and he realized that they were going from the morgue to the maternity ward, and they weren't washing their hands. Now, you and I look at that and go, oh, all right, but think this is 1818, all right? And he started talking to them, and he lectured them, and he begged them to wash wash their hands. This is what he said. I have shown how it can be prevented. I've proved all that I've said, but while we talk, 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 gentlemen, women are dying. I'm not asking anything world-shaking. I'm asking you only to wash. Wash your hands. And he changed the entire world with that statement, right? And everybody loved him, right? Wrong. He was virtually... Ignored. No one believed him. They would say, "Babies have been being birthed for thousands of years. They've had moms and midwives that have done it in the rice patties all over the world. They don't, we don't need we don't need some little Hungarian doctor telling us what to do." And so they laughed at him, and he died a laughing stock at the age of forty-seven with a bunch of unused, discarded wash basins. Now, you may be going, come on, Don, that's ridiculous. What does that have to do with anything? Let me ask you this. How often do you wash your hands? Let's be honest. If we didn't learn anything from COVID, we at least learn that. It's sad that it took a pandemic to teach all of us grown-ups, Mary had a little lamb. You know, we had, we had to sing a little song for 20 seconds with hot water. How in the world we forgot how to wash our hands is stunning. But now we have gloves and we have antiseptic and we have the goo everywhere, right? And we wouldn't even think of going from place to place without washing our hands. Let me ask you this. When have you last washed your heart? Because we go from place to place, and we bring our trash. You hearing me? Now, God says, bring it to me. He's not scared of our dirt. He's not scared of our trash. He wants us in His presence. He wants to show you what His presence means. And He wants to show us our sin but we've got to be aware of His presence. And the more aware of Him we are, the more aware of our dirt we'll see. So I'm praying this morning that we listen and that we cleanse and that we clean our hearts. Not on our power, through the blood, through the fire, through what Jesus has done. Because, friends, I don't care what happens this week. Mike's right. It's all about this dude named Jesus. We need to go talk to people about him. Would you pray with me? Father God, You are great and mighty and You have given us this perfect tabernacle, this perfect example of Your presence. And I pray we are aware of Your presence and we are moved by it. Father, our sin separates us. Clean us. Rejuvenate us. Empower us to shout Hosanna. Empower us to talk to people about You. To invite them to the tabernacle. To invite them to Your presence. May we be aware of how great a gift that is. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a little bit more. We have a very special thing we're going to do here in just a minute. But we have time for prayer. If you want to go to our prayer corner over here, our prayer warriors will meet you there. And maybe you're struggling. Maybe you brought in a bunch of this and you feel His presence. We want to pray with you. Maybe you would like to be baptized. Maybe you would like to to drawn into this church family. We would love to have you.
0: Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.